This podcast provides information to help esports professionals identify and approach legal problems. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only. Legal information is not the same as legal advice, which is an application of law to a party's specific set of circumstances. You should not and are not authorized to use this podcast as a source of legal advice. And the information in this podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between the Law of Esports podcast, any of the lawyers or affiliates of the podcast, and any consumer of this podcast. Welcome to the Law of Esports podcast, the number one podcast that discusses legal issues as they apply to the world of esports. My name is Jake Hicks, and I'm an attorney that represents teams, leagues, and organizations. And my name is Nefi Lopez, and I'm an attorney that represents players, streamers, and personalities. And today, if you're watching this on YouTube, you might see that we have an extra person joining us, and that is because this is another episode in our series of episodes in what we call pro-op, or um, like spec ops, co-op, professional operations. And what we do in this podcast, and what we're going to do with this series is bring you guests from the esports industry that are sometimes esports players, but sometimes they're going to be professionals that make up the other 95% of esports jobs that keep the ecosystem going. And that's what we have today. So please welcome Mr. Hayden Oberg, otherwise known as HCS Intel on Twitter, also a DeSerto investigative Halo journalist, a Halo esports insider and probably the foremost expert on all things new and breaking in the Halo esports world. Hayden, welcome. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Uh, Thank you for your time. Obviously, when it comes to things that we try and learn about the Halo space or about really any esports space, there's a few Twitter handles that we go to. Um, Certainly for the Halo Championship Series or HCS, HCS Intel is a big one for us. Yeah. So. We're really happy to have you on. Yeah, man. Well, I, and, I and appreciate the opportunity. It's, uh, thanks. It's great to be here. And, and just to correct the record, it's, it's HCS Intel or it's Twitter is at Intel HCS Halo. Uh, for those of you guys to go drop a follow and, and I, I mean, right. you guys already know who he is. Um, and so, so I, you know, we were talking to Hayden before we started the show and he's telling us that not enough people have given you an opportunity, an opportunity to talk about yourself. And so, you know, we're, <laughs> We're as, as attorneys, we, we love to talk about ourselves. That's what we do. And it's the funnest part. If you want to become friends with the lawyer, all you have to do is ask them about themselves and they're going to talk for hours. So, uh, you know, we're, we're going to give you a little bit of a shot to do that. You know, the, the primary purpose of why we started the pro op series on the podcast is to let basically give people a glimpse of your life, right? Give it, give people a glimpse of what you, you know, how you came into esports, your, your, your ability to, built such a large following and the influence you've played um, for the Halo esports world and just esports in general. I think it, we're all an environment that sort of lives off of each other and feed off of information that's exchanged primarily on Twitter is what I learned. Um, and so let's, let's start off with some basic questions about yourself, man. So, so where, where did you grow up? So I was born in San Marcos, Texas. Um, hey. And so yes. I, I was born in San Marcos, Texas. I've lived in San Antonio, Austin, all over Houston. Um, and uh, then whenever I was about 14 years old, we moved out to Florida. Um, and I guess after that, I joined the Air Force, went to Idaho for a little bit, and now I'm back. So, 
Nice, man. Cool. So, so That's I don't awesome. know if you know this. We're, we're also from Houston. Um, and you know, we're, we're Houston based attorneys. We're Texas based attorneys. Uh, and you know, te- Texas is a hotspot for esports. A lot of people don't know it. Everybody thinks about LA, but, but Dallas, you Dallas, know, a lot man. of the events. Yeah, dude, all the events we're going to, we're going to Dallas. So, uh, yeah. so that's cool, man. It's, it's, it's good to hear that you, you at least lived some of your life in the uh, best state in uh, the world, if you ask me. But, uh, anyways, uh, yeah. to kind of, to kind well, of, and, and also we're going to throw this out there. If you ever come back and hang out in Houston, and this is an offer we make to everyone we meet in the esports space. If you ever come through Houston, tacos and drinks are on the law of esports crew. So, or, or in Dallas, you know, if, if there's an event in Dallas and we're in town, everybody that we've met knows, you know, drinks, tacos, yeah. whatever it's on us. So, uh, you know, we, we love hanging out with you guys, but let's, let's get into the, the meat and potatoes, right? How did you first get into esports? So it's weird because there's very few people who know this. So how I first got into esports was I actually competed in Overwatch for a little bit. So I was a competitor before anything, right? Nice. Um, and basically, what happened was is I competed for a couple seasons. We ended up winning. Uh, we ended up winning a couple a couple tournaments. Um, obviously, I mean, as it goes, I mean, being a being an aspiring pro player is hard. I mean, especially with the emergence of the Overwatch League and everything else that kind of came out, it was it became increasingly harder to become a professional. Um, and so I kind of went more into the esports management side of things. And so the organization or team that we played, uh, I went ahead and started that. And, um, <clears throat> I, you know, I mean, that lasted me a couple of years. Uh, I was primarily in Call of Duty uh, whenever that happened around the Black Ops 4 time frame. And then obviously the CDL kicked off and we, we had uh, we had a couple teams kind of in and out. And I transitioned into talent management specifically because I, you know, kind of found that and I really liked it. Um, and I kind of returned to my roots with Halo. You know, I, I mean, I worked with several professional teams. I mean, DreamHack Atlanta, we worked with, um, we worked with several top EU players uh, and we were with EU players and kind of got, you know, got them over. Um, then we transitioned into kind of more of like a North American roster, which is three fourths of them are E United now, actually. So it was Rain, Ryan Noob. Uh, uh, it was Rain, Ryan Noob. You had King Nick, and then we had Bound as our fourth. We originally had Lucid, but we uh, we let him out of his contract so he could go sign with you know Envy and everything. Um, Dang, man. Yeah, right. so uh, that's, I mean, again, I, I had some prior connection into the Halo. I mean, I grew up playing Halo. Like, seriously, my dad let me, you know, he didn't like it. He had Halo 2, Halo 3, um, you know, the, the original one. He was like, he was like, yeah, whatever, and just let me play it. And I just kind of fell in love. And ever since then, I was like, I don't know, I tried working in talent management. And then, unfortunately, kind of COVID hit and, and nobody was really looking for stuff and uh, it kind of there was this one this one day I forget who tweeted it out but it was a pro player that was like because there's a CDL Intel for Call of Duty right very mm-hmm. very large right. uh, and a pro player before, prior I think it was back in like September or August was like um, why don't we have an HCS Intel and kind of something clicked in my brain and I was like why don't we you know and so then I guess I oh, just yeah, kind man. of seize the opportunity there and I never did I expect to be an investigative journalist but here we are you know. <laughs> yeah and it's it's awesome that's you say incredible. that because that's exactly the question that jake and i we asked ourselves we're like dude uh let's let's see if anybody's talking about the legal side of of esports and there's a lot of there's a lot of podcasts out there you know that talk about the business side that talk about all kinds they just talk about esports in general but nobody really breaks down 
the the specifics of esports and in, mm-hmm. in regards to the law, right? We we hear all kinds of legal mm-hmm. things happening, but nobody really breaks it down. And so we're like, dude. And I talked to Jake. We met in law school. We're like, why don't we talk about it? And so it's it's awesome to see that you took the same approach. And and obviously we're a few yeah. years after you. Uh, but you know, it's, it's amazing to see the type of people, the, the audiences that people like us can build. And so, and we give you props, True. man. I mean, how, how long ago did you start, uh, the HES Intel? So I actually started it last September, uh, was whenever I first nice. started posting, um, didn't get super active until probably October is whenever mm-hmm. I started like actually posting stuff. Uh, so- and then, yeah. Well, before you started HCS Intel, back when you were a player or even in talent management, um, was there any other kind of esports journalists or any of those accounts on Twitter that you would follow that you still follow? Yeah, so CDL Intel is probably like my biggest is probably like my biggest inspiration because I remember whenever I was starting the page, I, I actually know Crone, the guy who's behind it, um, and I, you know, we had followed each other for a little bit just because you know I, I, for whatever reason, but we just ended up going back and forth. And so like I followed him and, and he was a big inspiration on like, kind of like how I was going to conduct myself. And, you know, I actually got to talk to him quite a little bit about just kind of how he did things and that sort of type of stuff. And I mean, his success speaks for itself, you know? So, um, yeah. you know, I, I was very grateful to be given the opportunity to have somebody who, to mentor me like that. Well, cause I was wondering, you know, do you have like any formal training in journalism? I don't know. Because, well, because and before the podcast for the listeners and the viewers out there, we were discussing, you know, Neffy and I were going over all of our disclaimers of, you know, let's keep sources quiet. We have to stay away from this issue and this issue. Mm-hmm. And you were like, yeah, no, I'm with that. Uh, that's what I usually do. Um, and so it's just it's cool that you found a way to adopt all those traits that you kind of need as a journalist, at least in the Twitter sphere. Yeah, esports journalism is especially kind of the type of journalism that I do is very interesting because um, there are certain people within the industry who do have formal training. However, there are, I would say the majority of us don't, right? Um, right. There, there are quite a few it, it, journalists that I hold in very high esteem that do have that formal training. However, uh, esports journalism is really weird because of the way that it works, right? And it doesn't operate like traditional journalism. And I think that's kind of where people aren't necessarily like fond of it is because it, again, so a big, a big thing is like naming your sources and just kind of recently has it become more mainstream to be like not naming your sources. You know what I mean? Because like, right. You, you know, I mean, through the editorial process and the people that you work with, there's obviously that quality assurance there that you're not just tweeting out whatever you want. Right. And if you work for a, a reputable outlet, then they're going to hold you to that standard and they absolutely hold me to that standard. Um, and, you know, it's just been it's been very interesting kind of navigating the field and kind of seeing the different, I guess, sides of journalism. You know, you have your more traditional ones and then your more esports like, you know, non-traditional ones. So it's I don't know. It's just been very it's been weird to navigate. I'll say that. Yeah. So and, and you, with, you know, sorry, Jake, well, sorry, the, I just want to yeah, add yeah, a comment ahead. to that. I want to add a comment to that real quick. One of the things that I've noticed is a lot of the people that are currently in the esports world as journalism in, in the journalism world of esports, and then just people in general that are garnering a lot of attention and getting, um, you know, breaking stories, talking about stuff in esports are, are people that are, that have been traditionally involved in esports for a long time. And, you know, it's funny you tell us like, although you don't have the traditional training, uh, as a journalist, uh, you were, you know, you were trying to be a pro player. You were dealing with team management, you were doing things in the esports world. And, mm-hmm. and that sort of, you know, kind of propelled you. 
And I've noticed that it, it, esports is unique because it's built on relationships. I'm sure a lot of the sources that you have are people that you have built relationships with, and that's why they trust you. Um, whereas in the traditional, you know, business world, um, everything is, is, you know, similar, but it's not built on relationships. You don't give somebody uh, information because, oh, you know, I used to play with this guy or, hey, I've worked with this guy before. It's usually like, oh, it's, you know, the Washington Post or it's the New York Times. It's, it's all name based. And in esports, if you have enough friends in the world, in the esports environment, you can basically, you know, make a name for yourself by breaking information or starting, you know, pages like the one that you did. Um, and so, you know, well, it's something it's, I like to equate it to, if that's fine, it's something I like to equate it to is like, I mean, whenever you deal with, um, you know, your Adam Scheffner's of the world, right? Like very, mm-hmm. very, very few times, you know, in the actual professional sports world, whenever he's reporting on things, very few times does he actually name his source anymore, right? And maybe that's, that's right. where he actually started. But I mean, again, this is working its way into actual, like, you know, it, I don't want to say actual sports, but it's working its way into those, those bigger name sports and those just bigger name roster roster people on the outside. It's becoming more normalized to protect your sources because, I mean, naming your source puts them in, in, in a very, very awkward position because then that person who told you that information no longer probably is going to have access to that information any longer. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't consider whenever, you know, whenever they're like, oh, well, where's your source? You know. Right. 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 No, and I do think I do think esports is definitely on the forefront of a lot of ways of changing traditional sports from live streaming on multiple avenues uh, to like short bite sized pieces of news that you can get out quick. Right. So they're timely and, you know, they're important, but they're also condensed to really just get what you need to know um, versus cause I feel like we consume a lot of esports journalism, but most of it's from Twitter. You know, like every now and then, because you have like the Washington Post with their launcher uh, thing of, of like esports journalism. Um, and we'll read that sometimes, but it's a lot more in-depth articles, even on DeSerto. Like, you know, we'll go read an article on DeSerto sometimes, but we're more often looking at DeSerto's Twitter or your Twitter or CDL Intel's or something. Um, do you think there's another step beyond where we're at right now in terms of like esports journalism and, and Twitter? Do you think you're going to So the only way that I could actually... So the only way that I could actually see it is because, I mean, there's an app out there called Juked, right? I mean, they've made it very clear that they are, there aren't going to be an esports news app. But I think that, it will, I mean, in, in at that app or an app of similar of its nature, the only step that I could see kind of taking people away from Twitter, because, I mean, you know, the esports sphere pretty much lives there, right? So the only way that I could see it is that an actual notification going to your phone, right, is the only next step that I can see. Otherwise, I do believe that Twitter is going to remain that dominant, you know, I don't see that changing. Um, Cause I mean, kind of like you said, I mean, a majority of people aren't going to read the article, right? Because I, I mean, if, if, uh, if let's talk about my renegade article for a second, right. I, it got about 500,000 impressions, right. That means 500,000 people saw it, but only about 8,000 people actually read the article. Right. So I think, and then for the bound article, I believe only 1.3% of everybody that saw it actually read past the headline. Right. And so whether that's right. just kind of the way that people consume information now or kind of like how that type of stuff goes is that I think people are more moving away from reading the whole thing. And that could be problematic in itself, but more people are just going to be scrolling on Twitter and you're going to see these more individuals instead of these. I think we're seeing kind of more of a downscaling of like these outlets and stuff. Right. And we're seeing more of a rise of individualistic journalists and kind of people following individuals for news rather than, 
outlets, you know? Yeah, 100%, 100%. So we started HCS Intel like last September. When did you join Deserto? Um, I believe they approached me in December, if I'm not mistaken. Um, their, <laughs> nice. their owner, uh, their owner and their one of their lead editors approached me um, with the offer and kind of we're, we're just talking about it, you know, and it was a little, you know, it was a little intimidating at first. And I don't think uh, so they approached me in December timeframe. I don't think I joined until January just because I wanted to kind of, you know, I didn't necessarily know if that's the direction I wanted to go. I mean, you know, I needed to just some time to think about it. But yeah, that's kind of how that relationship got started. Okay. And did did awesome. you, so I, my question is twofold, right? Um, mm -hmm. One, did you notice that your growth started after you started working with Deserto or did your growth start in, in September? And you think September was whenever you, created the Twitter or is that whenever you started putting out seriously like so more I, I guess it was just an extra Twitter I had lying around that had like one follower so I just kind of swapped over the username and everything and then got some assets made for it um, but uh, essentially I mean I would say that my growth is what caused Deserto wanting wanting me is because obviously people were reading my stuff and these outlets want the numbers right like mm -hmm. it's ultimately what it is is they want people mm -hmm. to read their, like on their websites, right? And so I think they approached me at around 5,000 and that was whenever at kind of end of November, beginning of December timeframe. But by January, I was at 10,000. So, mm. you know, that was before I joined them and I joined them at around 10,000 followers. So whether I joined them or not, the growth was still there. Wow, okay. And so, and kind of changing gears a little bit and talking more about the meta of, of content creators and journalism and Twitter. Um, I don't know if you've, if you've had this issue, but you know, there's a lot of people out there that have been calling out people like Jake lucky. They're saying, Oh, you call yourself like a news outlet for, you know, certain, you know, esports and, 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 you know, th this type of media. Um, and they're saying, but you're not a real journalist. You're not a real journalist. And the way that you do it is not right. Have you ever had anybody tell you that the way that you're going Every around day. breaking news? Okay. <laughs> And, uh, and, and what, what is your reaction to those people that say that? Honestly, I think it's, a, I would say it's a little frustrating. I mean, because I mean, it, it's yeah, because cool. Like the way that Jake does things and the way that I do things is, is yeah, we pull screenshots from Twitter. Sometimes, you know, we report on drama. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I have a lot of respect for Jake. I really like what he does. And, and I think he's a very essential, like he's one of those, the few people who report on everything esports and everyone follows, right? So it's like he's not really tied down, and that's kind of really hard to kind of accomplish in our field. Um, and I know that he kind of started out more as like a content creator and then kind of went into it. But I think people confuse like traditional journalism with journalists that are also media personalities, right? So um, I think people are confusing that. And I think it, a lot of people are kind of stuck in the old ways of kind of how journalism used to work versus how it is now. And so, I mean, it's, it's again with, with everything else, right? Because I mean, if, if you were to tell me that esports, you know, whenever I told my dad back in 2015 that esports was going to be a multi-billion dollar industry, right, and that it was going to be the future of sports, he he told me that was, you know, BS, right? But here we are today, right? And so yeah. it's kind of like, I mean, again, this, this industry is full of a lot of things, but the, the same people that are kind of like, oh, well, you're not a real journalist, the same people who've never written an article in their lives. They don't know what the process is. They don't know any, like, they don't know what standards we're held to. They, they don't know anything like that. So... People love assuming things based on arbitrary information that they have, right? Um, and, and kind of very surface level of, of understanding because they're like, oh, well, anybody can do this. I'm like, then why don't you? 
Right. You know, right. and it's a lot more work than people kind of give it credit for. And I think that people like, you know, myself, CDL, Intel, Jake Lucky, I mean, I think we're pretty essential to just the esports industry as a whole, because without people like us, I mean, I've had so many people that have just told me that it's like, you are my central information for HCS. Whenever I wow. don't have time to like catch up with stuff. I mean, I put out these weekly updates that compress everything into one into one post, right? Yeah. And people are like, oh, well, I work 53 hours. I can't hold, I can't do this. Or I follow all these different esports. It's really hard to kind of, you know, you know, get that. And I, so I think that's kind of, that speaks to itself of the importance of us and, and the people that kind of operate like that within the industry. I just think that the people that are kind of, I don't know. It's the same people that are hating are the same people that it's like, you're still consuming the product. You're still interacting with it. You're still like, you're still reading the stuff. So you have to kind of choose because if you truly wanted, like they're all talk and they don't really actually kind of practice what they preach. Cause it's like, if you like traditional journalism, you'd still be using traditional means and you don't, you know? Yeah. So, and, and, it, and it's funny cause a moment ago you mentioned something about one of those articles that you wrote that, got like 500,000 impressions, but really only a small majority or a small minority of those people actually read those articles. And, 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 and what I, one of the things that we've noticed and the reason why we're really pushing our Twitter versus all of our other social media platforms is that, is that because of our audience, you have to remember, right. Who were, who are the people that were sharing information? These are, these are typically people that play video games. These are people that have a thousand things going on at once. And, you know, people are watching Twitch gaming, you know, tweeting at the same time. And so you have to be able to give them information in a concise manner, which is why I think Twitter is so valuable. And, and Deserto is smart because they're one of the few news outlets, along with some of the other handful of esports outlets that really focus on releasing content on Twitter. And I think that's one of the reasons why you've been so successful. And one of the reasons why Jake Lucky has been so, so successful is because people don't want to read a full article. You know, it's, it's not like mom and dad when they, when you grow up them eating breakfast and reading the newspaper. People don't do that anymore. In the mornings when I wake up, I open up my Twitter and I scroll and I go through a lot of different things that's going on in the course of, you know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And I'm caught up with everything that's going on. And so yeah. have you noticed that uh, people are, you know, and, and obviously it's kind of hard because you're a little biased because you actually do write full on articles. Do you yeah. do you think that that Twitter and, and and, you know, basically putting out the news and putting out breaking news via Twitter is going to be the future of of news i mean i think it already is right i mean if you look at every other major event even outside of esports i mean you've got journalists that are literally breaking stuff on twitter right because twitter is the cool thing about social media is the thing is is that it's not like it's not necessarily hard to find right and so it's kind of like you have those pages that you follow and it's a very consumable like like you said right it takes maybe you know 20 minutes to you for you to get caught up with everything you know i mean maybe somebody who only specifically follows halo you know, you know, I, the people, you know, I, I'm very appreciative of their support or the people that kind of go, just go on my page and they make, they follow me specifically for that information. Right. I follow Jake Lucky and he reports on a lot of the big stuff that happens within the esports industry. <clears throat> and so I find I get a lot of my news from people like this. Right. You've got people like Cron at the CDL Intel. I mean, he's reporting on stuff before that even happens, you know. And so I, I absolutely think that. Twitter is the future. And I think those outlets that are absolutely like are adopting that new, those new methods and kind of really like just getting out there and getting those people and getting those journalists, like they're ahead of the curve because like at the end of the day, give it another couple years probably. And like a majority of your journalists are going to be exclusive on Twitter. How do you, so I think that's a huge difference in like an independent Twitter 
or independent journalist posting on Twitter versus like if there was a like the HCS official Twitter. Yeah. Right. Um, and so how much do you weigh like giving your own opinion? Because I think there's some, I mean, there's some like atmosphere out there where you have and like the HCS official Twitter, which will never post about how much it kind of sucks that there's such a big gap between Kansas City and Orlando. Right. right? Like you're never going to get that from HCS official. Um, but you're also probably never going to get an educated opinion from the random person out there. And I think players are sometimes prohibited from even putting that opinion out there. And so uh, how do you weigh, you know, giving your opinion that you feel like might align with the audience versus uh, sticking to what's just official HCS business? So I think it, a lot of it depends on what I'm reporting on. Right. So um, I've always made it a point that like <clears throat> I've noticed just especially within the Halo industry is that a lot of like negative feedback is silenced. Right. Whether that be, you know, whatever means that's through. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that like it's good. I mean, especially with the platform that I have, I'm not necessarily kind of like you know, trying to downplay anything, but I also think it's important that people are able to express their opinions. And someone like me isn't touchable by these big organizations because I have no contractual obligation to keep my mouth shut, right? But I also don't put out every single opinion that I've ever had and present it as fact, right? Because at the end of the day, people are following me for that news. And I mean, if there's something, you know, I mean, like the situation yesterday with the whole nameplate, right? Like, I, I, you know, I absolutely think that that's something that I can give my opinion on, right? Because that is something that, like, as a journalist, I feel like at that, at that point, like, it becomes a responsibility to be like, hey, like, this isn't right, you know? Or, like, whenever things aren't going wrong, like, because of the platform that I hold, I, I, there's a certain level of responsibility that I feel journalists have to make sure that, like, to use our platform for good. And talking about talking about that nameplate thing, let's let's kind of let's kind of break that down a little bit. Obviously, everybody that's involved in in esports knows about that situation. And so I don't know if you heard, but apparently um, and I'm I'm trying to pull up right now. Jake Jake and I were talking about earlier. So, Jake, you might be better at it. Um, Yeah. So so for the for the listener out there, if you don't pay attention to Halo or to Halo esports or to Halo journalism, which you should if you don't. there was a uh, a release of new skins and colors for uh, Halo characters. One of them was a release for Juneteenth, the you know national African American uh, essentially celebration of independence, which has become a vitally important and celebrated event in the United States. Uh, Halo uh, released a skin to commemorate that event, as they do with the Fourth of July and, and a bunch of other um, national holidays. Unfortunately, the name associated with that skin was just in- extraordinarily uh, insensitive, to put it lightly. And the the name associated with the skin is the is a name of a um, like a African primate. Now, three four three has come out. Three four three are the developers of Halo, and they developed the game for Microsoft. Three four three released a statement, or one of their developers released a statement stating that the name. Is the also is the name of a program or a tool set used by Halo? Obviously, on Twitter and in uh, across the internet, there are vast differences of opinion as to whether it really was a tool set or to whether it was a deeply insensitive thing that Halo released by someone on the development team. Uh, we don't know the real answer. All I will say is that three four three has 
vehemently denied that they did it on purpose and vehemently denied that it was something they meant to be insensitive. And they state that it was a glitch and that it kept the um, tool set. Right. However, that did not stop the Twitter sphere from (laughs) absolutely blowing up as it should. Because three, four, three deserves some pushback. Right. But anyway, that's, that, that's the context. Yeah. So, so, so do you think that it was a mistake on their part? Cause it's, it's, it's a re it's reasonable, right? And I, I, first of all, it's a terrible name for uh, a tool that you use. Um, you know, Jake, Jake, (laughs) Jake sent me a a screenshot. It's a tool. And now it, it it says that Jake Hicks, by the way, me, not Jake Lucky Lucky did tweet about it. And, you know, he was obviously him along with a bunch of other content creators that, that read, that talked about it said it was disgusting and gave, you know, kind of injected their own personal opinions along with the news, which is one of those things that, you know, people get upset whenever they do that. They're like, just report it. Don't include extra. But apparently that, that particular name is, is what it, it basically that program extracts animations from Halo games and decompiles them. Um, you know, and it says it, uh, it, a process of it is accessing extracted animations requires an addition of 3DS max from 2013 to current. Um, and then it's compatible with some of their Halo games. In other words, that that name that they released is, in fact, the name of a tool that 343 uses and said, look, guys, um, it, it it came out as the name of the tool. We never renamed it before we released it or before it was leaked. Um, I guess, and, you know, what, what, guess what do you think? Issue, my big issue with that is like, I mean, with most things in the game, right? It's like, where's the quality assurance department here, right? Because, I mean, this is not the first time that 343 has released things into the game that like, haven't been checked right and so it kind of really kind of begs the question and like i was like look whether or not it's it's a tool right i'm not going to sit here and i'm not going to speculate right i regardless or not it's a mistake that happened and it is a disgusting one right and i definitely think that like the fact that nobody caught that before it was actually pushed into the game is actually a little mind-blowing right because yeah like where's the quality assurance where's the people who are checking like where are the people that are like how like how did that even happen right like whether it was a tool or not, like how, how did that even happen? Right. No, they haven't even like explained like, like why the emblem was even named that in the first place. Right. And so that's kind of like, what's a little frustrating is that cool. I mean, it just feels like a really easy answer. Right. And I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to play fingers. I'm not going to say, you know, that it was a hundred percent, but they need it. They a hundred percent need to take responsibility for what they did. And I mean, it just the fact, again, like I said, where's the quality assurance? You know, okay, like, okay, and so so to to summarize what you're saying is, look, it doesn't matter whether they did it intentionally or not. Well, it does matter, but what at a minimum there should have been somebody or something in place to keep that from happening. Absolutely, and, and the fact that there wasn't, and even if it was a mistake, it's an extremely insensitive mistake. I mean, just yes, and and I don't know if it's just bad luck on behalf of three four three that that happens to be the name of the program. That the name of the program happens to be the name of a of a monkey, um, or or a primate. I guess as Jake put it in technical terms, uh, it's just it's it's ridiculous. And I and I agree, I agree. with you. And and I and I you know that the, the response you gave, in my opinion, is one that's um uh what's what's uh, sort of le- it's it's something that a lawyer would say, which is look look I'm not going to tell you whether it's good or bad. But at a minimum, there should have been. Um, you know, some type of, of, of checks to make sure like what you said, quality control. And so, well, yeah. Cause I mean, whenever things like that happen, I mean, regardless of whether it's a mistake or not, right. People see that and they're going to be affected. I mean, I know APG was very, very vocal about it on Twitter and rightfully so. It's just like, 
I mean, especially when we're dealing with a holiday like that. I mean, that's a mistake that like whether something like that was intentional or not, like there's some heavy repercussions for that. I mean, especially when we're dealing with so much hate in the world in the first place, like doing stuff like that really just, I don't know. It's just like, it, it shouldn't have ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. And so, so, so since we're kind of in the topic I agree as of, well, so of, I, can, <laughs> I agree as well with you guys, uh, uh, I'd uh, like to throw, throw it in there. Me too. Uh, I agree. Uh, and, and since we're already on the topic, um, we we're talking about something major and that's something that, that, that is, is very recent. Um, is there anything else currently that's happening that you want people to know about um, or you want people to keep an eye out on um, that you're currently either, you know, working on now or, or have already released and you want people to listen? Yeah. So um, the, the whole, so the renegade article that I released, obviously um, I released the, uh, I released a kind of like insider scoop on that um, Sentinels was actively trying to replace lethal with renegade, which is, you know, I have very solid proof stating that, you know, that, that that's happening. But I think what a lot of people haven't really understood about the situation. And I tried to kind of like put out an update and you were like backtracking. I'm like, uh, is that people don't quite understand how, Outs work and how kind of how much of a mess the buyout situations are. I mean, especially with certain you know with certain players being maybe stuck in certain organizations or uh, you know other players maybe not you know other organizations maybe not willing to do certain trades and stuff like that. So it's it's kind of like there's this huge mess that's going on behind the scene that really nobody knows about, and so it's kind of like it, it throws a cog into a lot of that because yeah, the team wants to do something right. And maybe what the team wants to do isn't necessarily what the organization is trying to do, right? And so, um, I mean, Renegade is a very, you know, they just can't agree on a buyout price, right? And the fact that people can't really believe that and Cloud9 is actively playing with somebody else, it's kind of like the context clues are there. You just kind of got to use a little common sense because, I mean, whenever I said Bound was going to start playing with Cloud9, that literally happened the same week, right? And so it's like, I, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, obviously I still have a lot of credibility to build in and I have no issues with that. I just think telling me that I'm outright wrong whenever nobody here really kind of knows the full picture, it, it just gets a little frustrating sometimes because there's a lot that I can't say because otherwise that compromises the people that I talk to. Um, and I don't know, it's just kind of like, I wish people were a little bit more patient with, with, the, with situations like these and a little bit more understanding, especially whenever I kind of lay it out in such a simple format. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And and just dig into that a little bit and feel free to say no comment if if you have to. Um but was that more to be one of the like, especially the renegade and lethal situation, was that supposed to be more of like a one to one trade? So those organizations? No. So from what I understand, initially it wasn't supposed to be uh, it was not gonna be a trade, right? It was um I actually don't know what lethal's next steps were. Um, I, I don't necessarily know where he was going. I did have confirmation he was not going to retire, right? So my guess is he was going to be pursuing opportunities elsewhere. That's just speculation. Um, but I do know that Sentinels was a, was actively pursuing Renegade, and the reason that they haven't been able to acquire him is because uh, Cloud Nine is just making his buyout price just too steep, you know, and it's just not something they're willing to invest. Okay. Um, do you think that changed at all after Kansas City? or within Kansas city of, of with Sentinels playing so well? Um, I mean, there's a big possibility, but what a lot of people don't know is that this, this was, a, this was a move that was being talked about behind the scenes. And I mean, it was active, like people were actively trying, like it was actively trying to happen. Um, 
even before Anaheim, right? Like that mm-hmm. that's how far this, this kind of stretches back and it was never really like official or anything like that until kind of after that Kansas City. And I think the win kind of just makes a lot of people confused because they're like, you know, well, 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 why would that happen? And I'm like, you guys realize that Lethal quite literally won some, like in 2016, he left Evil Geniuses to go to CLG, which is this team in the exact same fashion, even though he had just won an event, right? right. And so it's like, what people don't understand is they're, they're looking at such like a short-term margin. It's like, yeah, cool, they won a major, but they've also placed, they haven't placed first in two back-to-back events, Right. And that's just something that's not acceptable for that squad. And so the, it's not out of that realm of possibility to be like, well, they're looking forward to worlds into the future, right? They're, they're, they're trying to set themselves up for future success. And I mean, even if you looked at pictures and whatever I did get to discuss with the players, nobody was necessarily like thrilled that they want it, right? Like, like if you look like, yeah, there's a couple people smiling, but otherwise the team itself doesn't look necessarily happy, you know, just with the win in general. And so obviously I'm not going to sit here and speculate and say what was going on within the, within the side, the team, but regardless, yes, they may have won, but that doesn't necessarily speak to the story about what was actually going on inside the, you know, the team dynamics. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, that's always an issue of a player getting acquired and then dropped. Um, Cause trades are extraordinarily rare. I mean, trades are almost, I don't know if they ever really even happen in first person shooter esports where you get like a one to one trade like that. So I was really hoping it would be, but after reading your article and, and Halo might have out, a couple a coming up soon. If things go smoothly, they might be, there might be a couple actual trades going on. You so want to tell us awesome. more about so, that? <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't yet. But uh, oh, I would just say that, like, it's not a hundred percent. There's still a lot that's up in the air. I mean, especially with like everything that's going on in the background, it's very messy right now. Um, okay, well, yeah. Hard. So what? So, and if you don't mind getting into why it's a little bit messy, I I feel like in HCS and some other some of these other leagues that you don't have in traditional sports is that teams can kind of set the buyout price to whatever they want it to be. It's not like you just have to buy out the player's contract and that's it. It's like they are raising these premiums based upon uh, kind of the, I mean, some value that is sometimes coming. It seems like coming out of nowhere. You yeah, know? I agree. Um, I think it's a big issue. Do you and think it, the scene would benefit from more structured buyout terms? Like absolutely. if you have a contract? Um, that's actually something I was talking to a friend of mine about the other day. And I, again, I think especially among the partner teams, right? The fact that HCS mm-hmm. kind of doesn't do anything like that. I mean, whenever you look at your franchises and stuff like that, they are very clear cut kind of, you know, like here's how much the minimums of being paid here. You know, I, I don't know if there's necessarily maximums, but you know, like it's like, here are your minimums. And you know, if there are maximums, it's like here are your maximums your buyouts are required to be this and blah, blah, blah. Right. But the fact that HCS kind of isn't holding their partner teams up to kind of a standard like that and allowing kind of these outrageous prices to be, uh, to be placed for, for these players, I think can be a little dangerous, especially to certain players careers and kind of their progressions, because I mean, you know, necessarily, you know, I don't necessarily, uh, I mean, let's take the Spartan situation, for example. Right. I mean, you get into situations like that where usually in most leagues, especially franchise franchises, I mean, your LCS, everything else is trades and stuff have to go through legal approval first. Right. But what I, I have failed to see in HCS involvement in any of this. And I think 
that HCS does need to be involved in this, especially with their with their partner teams, because it's like those are the people that are partnered within your league. And so it is very, very vital that those players are protected. Right. And those players can't be. It's like, you know, say an organization, you know, sets their buyout price at like a million dollars. Right. What right. organization is going to pay that in the state that Halo is in right now? Right, you're essentially kind of setting right. them up for failure there. And I think that like there needs to be a lot more protection. I mean, especially whenever it comes to salary minimums and how much salaries are allowed to be reduced, and like mm-hmm. you know, different situations that that all needs to be laid out, laid out and facilitated by the league. And the fact that it's not, I, I really do feel like that becomes kind of a dangerous precedent to set for players and organizations. Well, and, and my frustration is, uh, and real quick, never because I think you're going to have a, something to add to this point. Yeah. Uh, but my frustration is from someone that represents teams, right? I'll, I'll represent teams across esports, um, and sometimes it's great to be able to lock in a player, but sometimes it's not in their best best interest. And I think my frustration is if I'm a league and I'm looking to acquire a player, let's say I'm looking to uh, you know acquire a Spartan, for instance, and I think that Spartan is worth a million dollars. And I want to give Spartan a million dollars to come play for me. If I approach an organization that he's with and I say, look, we want him, we'll file his contract and then we want to pay him a million dollars. All of a sudden, if they say his buyout price is another million dollars, well, now as an organization, it cost me $2 million to acquire that player. Right. And the, the sad part is that that second million dollars doesn't even go to the player that I want. It goes to the organization that he's leaving and that's a premium above whatever he was probably being paid. Right. And so that's my frustration with it is that it it really restricts league or teams abilities to deal with stuff. And also the player's not really seeing the value there. I mean, they're locked into a contract. Meanwhile, the buyout price is skyrocketing based off of, uh, I mean, what numbers people's opinions. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's that's where a lock would really help. And, and that's that's a problem, you know, for us as lawyers, right? That's one of the things that's unique to esports is that the law already varies per industry. The thing about esports is that the law varies so much within esports themselves. In other words, the contract for a, <laughs> a CDL, you know, player versus an HCS mm-hmm. player varies so much. And I'm going to be honest with you, I, I I don't really, off the top of my head, I can't think of any current professional Halo players that I work with. Um, obviously, I'd like to change that, but um, I, I, have you, have, have you gotten your hands on any just general contract without telling us what teams or what players, but have you seen any of these contracts? I have. Yes. Okay. And one of the issues that I, that I have is that, and that I'm not hearing about is, is, and one of the things that you talked about is, is, is the buyout clauses. Are you seeing limitations and buyout clauses in these contracts or not at all? It's it, see the thing is is that in these contracts they never clearly state like well like you know I, I mean they say things like you know a, a trade that is mutually beneficial or you know it right it matches the value and there's no real clear value listed right like it's like what is the true metric that you're using because I mean it, for me right if you look okay how much money have I invested into the player and how much money like do I owe the player right like or I think it's perfectly reasonable to say their yearly salary, right? Like how much they, they were planned, they were planned to pay or something like that. Like an actual clear metric would be a lot more, I think helpful for players. Cause it's like, you know, say you're paying a player, you know, $40,000, right. And you want to make some money on that contract be like, okay, well, based on the resources that we've given you and everything else, you know, that we've done plus a little bit more, right. 
I want to sell your contract for sixty or seventy thousand dollars, right? And that mm-hmm. is a clear metric and kind of like a well, here's your value, right? And and so I'm not saying yeah. that's one hundred percent how it needs to work. I'm just saying kind of using that as an example is that like these organizations will pull these just crazy, you know, just buyouts with no real cap, and yeah. it's like I, I mean, you you deal with with players that get stuck because. Yeah the initial price that the organizations agree on. Right. And then the org decides, Oh, you know what, if they're willing to pay that, maybe we can get more. Right. And and so a lot of kind of what we're dealing with is we're dealing with that greed and we're dealing with kind of like that. Oh, well we want more money. And I understand the reasoning behind it, but you're sacrificing a player in their career and kind of kind of putting them in a worse position by not kind of having those numbers, you know, clarified. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and, you know, and it's, and it's interesting you say that um, because, you know, and like I said, I, I haven't gotten my hands on, on, I, I've seen some old ones. I haven't seen any of the current ones that are circulating. And I, and I'm, and I'm glad you say that because you have good intuition, right? The, the thing that makes Jake and I unique is that we're litigators, right? Meaning we're, we're not just drafting contracts. We're going to court and fighting contracts and we're, we, and we right. know what's applicable and what's not and what will save either a player and Jake knows what will save a team from litigation, right? In other words, having concise and specific interpretations and definitions of terms. And so, and, and, and to kind of piggyback off, and I know uh, Jake also wants to make a comment, but uh, have you noticed that a lot of these pro players that, that you know, do, do you know if most of them have like competent legal counsel? Like, do they have lawyers or do they just negotiate everything themselves? Or, or have you noticed that a lot of the things that Jake and I have noticed, for example, which is a bit of a problem in our opinion, is that people have like managers that are not lawyers that are negotiating their yeah. contracts. Uh, what What is your experience? Who are these players working with that are getting themselves in these situations? So depending on where, <laughs> so so depending on where, depending on what sport you are, there's a lot where because it's become a lot more normalized. But as a previous talent manager myself, I mean, especially with aspiring pro players and stuff, and I've, I've worked with several pro players. It is very, very uncommon that any contract I ever sent to player was even ever reviewed by legal counsel. And obviously, to me, I, you know, I've never sent out an unfair contract, right? Like, you know, I've always because that goes against who I am as a person, right? Um, you know, and and I've even resigned because you know, or the organization, the organization I work for did not meet the obligations of the contract before, right? And uh, I mean, again. I don't know. It's just like I think that more legal legal counsel should be more readily available to these players because otherwise, like in good legal counsel at that, because you get these clauses that you just kind of skim over. Right. right? Or, or the organization will be, oh, we promise we won't do that. Right. But and then legally, there's nothing you could do. Exactly. The You know, the signature touches the paper. And so I think that lawyers, especially for pro players, absolutely need to be. Um, you know, on both sides, right? The organization need their lawyers. And I think that absolutely that the lawyers should be the ones that are negotiating and making sure that those contracts are sound. So we don't deal with situations. Like right. That. Okay. And so, so what you're saying is it's uncommon for people to get legal counsel to review these contracts or you're saying it's uncommon for them? To my knowledge. Really? Yes. Okay. Okay. So you're, so you're saying, and I'm kind of using double negatives. A lot of pro players out there are not getting lawyers to look over their contracts. Is that, is, is that what your yes. general... Okay. Yes. Which is, yeah, which uh, do, do you see a problem with, do you see that being a problem now in the current, you know, let, let's focus on HCS and that's where you primarily work. Do you see that as being an issue? I mean, do you see that? Huge becoming, issue. Okay. okay. Huge issue. Yeah. And, I mean, I think it's because, I mean, again, you're dealing with a lot of players. I mean, the HCS just came back, right? So a lot of these players have never dealt with a big contract in their entire life, right? The Halo, right. the Halo just started this 
partner program, which it, it like that creates a lot of money and stuff in itself. Right. And so these are some of the biggest contracts that these players have ever seen. Right. And I think that as we, as we grow, it's even more vital. And the thing is, is a lot of these guys are young, right? They're like, Oh, like I can be paid 60, $70,000 a year <laughs> right. to play Halo. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's enough for them to put the signature or, Oh, this is a great opportunity with a great team. You know, and, and they get ahead of themselves. And instead of their first thought, oh, let me send this to a lawyer to make sure that it's sound and that I'm not getting myself into a situation that will yeah. kind of screwing me over. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's a, and that's a reoccurring theme that we see whenever people throw some money. Right. And I'm going to be honest, if you guys are listening out there and you're a pro player and you have a lot of potential and I'm sure you've learned this, uh, Hayden, is that. It's, it's it's worth negotiating. Right. Sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year is not enough money. For you to be putting up with, you know, not not to say BS, but to be to be putting up with something that could potentially destroy your career. And so uh, and, and, you know, if you have a message to any players that are listening to this or any any up and coming guys that are looking to make a splash in the scene or looking to get into a team, um, you know, obviously we have our advice, which is always to get competent legal counsel. I do agree with you. I think I think the problem right now is that lawyers are, are, they're expensive and they're inaccessible. In other words, there are some lawyers out there, but the ones that everybody knows about, you know, they are good, right? I'm not going to say they're the best. Uh, some of them are the best, uh, but they're expensive because there's not as many of them out there. And, and, you know, and Jake and I are trying to change that. I know I myself, since I do represent players and streamers and, and, and people that, you know, put out content, content creators, for lack of a better term, um, and I'm trying to be as accessible as possible. Um, you know, and, and you're, you're going to have to pay. That's just the, the nature of the business is, is everything has a price, but I do agree. I think there needs to be more of us out there. And, um, and, and I think people need to get at a minimum their, their stuff reviewed. And so, um, you know, kind of changing gears a little bit since we're, we're, we're kind of telling towards the end. Um, let, let's talk about you in particular, right? Whenever you, let's okay. say, whenever you got to like 5,000, um, followers and you were starting to garner some attention. Uh, did you notice, did you get approached by a lot of people or was Deserto one of the few or can you walk us through that process? I, I've been approached by a lot of people. I mean, especially whenever it came with kind of like sponsorship deals and like, you know, you had all these people that kind of wanted to take advantage of my platform and kind of like push their own products out there. And so, I mean, again, I haven't worked with a lot of them and I mean, because I, I just don't feel that as a news page that like that's, you know, like if so, if somebody wants to meet my conditions which is like, I'm not going to make specific tweets about your stuff. I'm like, I can help support your product. I can help, you know, sponsor that maybe on a stream or on a podcast or something, whenever we get that started. Um, and I can hit that occasional retweet, but I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to push your product every single day because at the end of the day, like I may be, I'm not like the way I am a content creator, but in a way it's kind of like, I'm, I don't have as much freedom to do what I want because Again, my, my my viewers are looking for something very specific. They have expectations. Me. Yeah, they have expectations. And I have an expectation for myself that I'm not going to sell out, right? Like, I just feel like, oh, yeah, cool. This sponsorship deal is cool. But if it's not mutually beneficial to the both of us, there's no point in doing it, you know? Right. Okay. And is there, right. if, if you could do uh, um, anything differently from where you are now to where you did in September, uh, for somebody that's interested in doing something similar to what, what what you have done, do you have any advice out there for any of the listeners that are interested in either starting an Intel Twitter or, you know, just doing what you're doing, which is to become an esports journalist? 
Mm-hmm. So I have a couple. So number one, don't sell out, especially whenever you're kind of cashing <laughs> that, cashing that, uh, that thing. Don't take the first offer that you're given, right? Know your worth. I think that a lot of people kind of don't understand that whenever you're being approached for your platform, you have negotiation power. And if it's not something you don't want, don't just take it because it's the only offer on the table. Um, I definitely, something I wish I did different was I wish I took just a little extra time to verify my information before I put it out. Right. And I think that it did lead to a, like, it, I wasn't wrong, but it did lead to a couple of like inaccuracies. Right. Um, and so if I had just taken that extra second to like really verify that information and structure it a little bit better, um, you know, it, it might've been a little bit more professional. And I mean, again, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was kind of, you know, treading the water, but mm-hmm. also don't be afraid to ask for help. Right. Cause a lot of us in the industry, I mean, look, look up to the other people that you like want to, you know, like the, the people you aspire to be, maybe you can reach out to them. Maybe you can't. Right. Because I mean, I get it. Like a lot of us are busy, but just kind of really make sure that you're holding yourself to a higher standard. Um, and don't ever let that standard waver because of money or because of anything like that, right? Because it can be very tempting and very easy, um, but it's also something that tarnishes your brand and it tarnishes your reputation, you know? Um, yeah. So, again, that's just something that I wish I did a little bit differently. And, to, you know, any upcoming journalists and stuff, like, I highly advise that put yourself and make yourself valuable before you kind of work for anybody and kind of do whatever because you don't want to be writing for somebody. Right. Like you want to be writing the articles and they want your stuff. Right. Like it, it's kind of like the, the best thing that I can say is not everybody's going to be able to amass a platform like mine. But you also want to make sure that you as a journalist are investing into your own individual value, because once you're gone from that outlet or laid off or whatever, like where are you going to go? Right. And so it's kind of you need to make sure that you're investing in yourself, your health and making sure that just like everything about you is set first. Before, um, you know, before you kind of take any of those offers. Right. Awesome. Wise words from Aiden himself. Uh, Jake, any questions? So, okay. Um, (laughs) Going back to our contracts discussion, uh, because we had a solid like eight and a half minutes of Nephi pontificating on us. Which tends to so, happen. I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, because because that's the truth. And I think sometimes in journalism, you can get this too, where you are structurally limited to where no matter what you really ask for, there are going to be some aspects of an agreement with a journalistic outlet mm-hmm. or with HCS that can't really be changed. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's some aspects of HCS contract that a team can't change even if they wanted to. Right. Um, there's probably going to be some some aspects of agreements with um, a DeSerto or a dot esports and they're going to be the same between the both of them. Um, but on the journalism side uh, or where you're at, where do you see the most room for improvement in terms of upcoming content creators in that space? I, th- I think a lot of it is like, don't, I, I see a lot of upcoming people, what they'll do is they'll accident. Like, I don't know if it's accidentally or maybe they just get a little too ahead of themselves is that it's kind of like kind of like what I was saying earlier is they let that standard kind of waver, right? And and like that's kind of whatever it's like, oh, there's your bad story, right? Because as an upcoming journalist, whenever your credibility is still extremely fragile, it's very important that whenever you're putting something out that you are there. Because if you are wrong, then what that does is that hurts your credibility. And you know, and um I mean another thing that I think a lot of people need need to do is that whatever you're do like whenever you're creating relationships with your sources and stuff you need to make sure that like those people know that they can trust you 
and that those people know that you've got their back, right? That no matter that you're not going to crack under pressure and that you're not just going to go tell your friend or, you know, you know, like I don't even tell my best friend, like who I talk to. I don't like that. I might tell him a little information before I put it out. Right. But just because, you know, I mean, he's my best friend. I want, I want to like, you know, um, you know, shadow Preston. Anyway, uh, but, <laughs> but, but what I wanted to just kind of what I wanted to say is just that like, I don't know. It's just people kind of let that waiver or they let it slip or they go compromise the source. And like, that's the easiest way out of the industry. You know, it's right. like, is that you, if you don't hold yourself to that standard a hundred percent of the time, right. Then that can lead to disaster. Right on. Well, okay. One more question off that. Do you yeah. ever use, do you ever use NDAs? I have never used uh, an NDA before, especially with what, it, with, kind of what I'm doing. So yes, these players mm-hmm. can just go help themselves if they want to, but like right. whose benefit is that? Right. Is that like the, the people that speak to me, right. Whoever those people are is like, they kind of like know that it's like they can't out themselves because they don't want me to out them. Right. And every pro player that I talk to or everybody that I interview, they're like, where do you get your stuff from? And I'm like, okay, put yourself in those shoes. Will you want me talking to somebody else about the information you give me? And they're like, Oh, right. that's a good point. You know, and people really think about it that way. It's like, put yourself in my source of situation for a second, right? It's like, if you have a job or you have something that you have to lose, right? You mm-hmm. are absolutely trusting me by giving me that information and keeping you confidential, right? Um, and so that's kind of like one of the most important parts of, of investigative journalism, especially in esports, is that you don't want to ruin that trust for not only them, but yourself as well. Spoken like a true professional, man. Yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> So I, I don't have any more questions. Uh, Jake, do you? Uh, no, my only thing is our, our last thing in the pro op series, which is uh, Hayden, Mr. Oberg, Mr. HCS Intel himself. Uh, what do you have going on that you want people to know about? That's a really good question. Um, I think, <laughs> I, I think we've, I've got several large stories that once things are more solid, will probably be coming out. So a lot, I'm going to be answering a lot of questions that people have nonstop harassed me about, right? It's like, oh, what's FaZe's roster? What's EU doing? What's all these other people doing? It's like patience, guys, because you have to wait for that stuff to kind of play out and to be make sure that it's solid. Because I don't want to be reporting on, there's such thing as reporting on something too early, right? right. Because there's, you know, I mean, even with the Renegade situation, right? Like I could have waited until that was that deal was already signed, right? But um, you know, I mean, that's just the risk you have to take whenever, uh, as an investigative journalist. Because my editors know my evidence; they've seen my evidence. They know my like. They don't know who my sources are, but they know like how many of that I have, right? Um, and so, I, I mean, I, that's just kind of like what it is. Are you going to be at HCS uh, Orlando? Absolutely. I actually only nice. live like a few hours away from it. Perfect. Nice, man. Nice, nice. Awesome. Well, for everybody listening, uh, this was Intel HCS Halo on Twitter. Uh, his his personal Twitter page is Sir, uh, and 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 pronounce help me pronounce it. Is it Curé? So yeah, Curé, Curé, either or. Okay, Curé. Okay, so, which is S I R K U R A Y. You guys have heard it here. You know, he really takes care of his um, of of his intel. He really takes care of his sources. So. Um, if you're any pro players listening to this or just people in the in the world, feel free to reach out to him on Twitter. What is your preferred method of contact, by the way? Is it via email or Twitter? Twitter DMs? Twitter is primarily. Twitter DMs are primarily what I use. Okay. And so you guys feel free to reach out to him if you've got any 
any information or any 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 anything for him to hear. You guys know that this guy is the real deal. Uh, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. Uh, you know, we we're, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, it's it's awesome to hear everything you're doing for us, man. We just want to keep we we want you to keep fighting the good fight. Uh, and you know, cause I know, I know there's some orgs out there that probably you're not, they're not the biggest fan of you. Uh, yeah. and, and, and I'm certain Jake, Jake initially was like, man, I don't know. I'm like, dude, it's going to be okay. We, we need to, we need to give him the spotlight. Cause I think people like you are crucial to what we do. I think people need to know what's happening. A lot of these players, like you said, are scared for them to bring out these stories themselves. So they depend on somebody to, to shine a spotlight on what's going on. And you are that Absolutely. guy. So uh, know that, you know, we're, you, you've got a lot of followers and, and know that Jake and I are big fans of you and your work. And, uh, you know, we hope you keep we hope you keep doing it, whatever you're doing and, and you do it well. So uh, yeah, thank man. you so All much right. for coming. Uh, thank you, everybody else, for tuning in today. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to try to release this episode as soon as possible, because I know everything we talked about is kind of time specific. Um, mm-hmm. So so we'll put it out. We'll, we'll put it on, you know, blast it on all socials. Uh, thank you so much, man. Do you have any finishing, any, any final comments for everybody? Oh yeah. So just thanks for having me on, man. I, again, I love Halo, no matter what the, what the state is or not. I mean, you know, people are going to regret sleeping on this esport, and I really feel like that, like, you know, like there's, it's nothing but up from here. Right. I, I really hope to see the success for this esport, and I, I hope to grow with this community as well. So again, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to come on and kind of people to get to know me a little better because i think that is something that i haven't necessarily been able to do um effectively so again i, I really do appreciate the opportunity you guys you guys are, are really really good uh solid and you have good heads on your shoulders so i appreciate it hey, thanks so much uh, man. we appreciate it man hey let's uh let's have you on again too brother it's been awesome yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. anytime all right everybody thank you guys so much for listening remember follow us on all socials the law of esports on youtube twitter Instagram, all of them. And then we got Intel HCS Halo on here with us. Thank you guys. And we'll see you on the next episode.